0: We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Doshensky, Culture Editor here at the Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at the federalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today I'm joined by my colleague, senior editor, Christopher Bedford. He's a he's a senior editor at the Federalist. He's also with Right Forge. Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Sorry for the sirens behind me. I was gonna say.
0: If, if you're hearing sirens in the background, oh my gosh, Chris, are, is your neighborhood under attack?
1: <laughs> I mean, it could be. the The military is deployed across across my neighborhood once again uh, right. to once again deal with non-existent threats. I, sh- I shouldn't have brought it up because
0: Chris's uh, pet gripe is the security on Capitol Hill and generally the the crime and all of the political theater um, on Capitol Hill. So oh, we'll yeah. we'll segue away from that because it's always bad on State of the Union Day. Oh, yeah. uh, Go ahead. There, there are no police with rant. no
1: backup on our streets. Crime is rampant. There is an unbelievable level of carjackings. Murder is up, in, uh, I think, like 200% of deadly crimes in the last couple of years. The police force has been cut in half. But every, every little while, Nancy Pelosi parades out the freaking military to come here to keep her safe. It is, it is nauseating.
0: Okay, Gran Torino. Um, Chris is here on the eve of the State of the Union to discuss what we expect will be a fairly desperate bid to recapture momentum um, in the it, it, from President Joe Biden, who is now faced with inflation. He is faced with war in Ukraine. He is faced with immense and mounting dissatisfaction and acknowledgement of the way Democrats and, and his party and his administration mishandled the pandemic uh, when they took it over, as he assumed office. We're over a year into his, his term. Chris, what do you expect to hear from Biden as it relates to Ukraine tonight?
1: Well, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for him to dig himself out of this hole, because while I could go into like the deep analysis of this and that problem with Ukraine or this and that problem with inflation, you know, the reality is the president's senile and the vice president's stupid. And when you have that reality, it's extremely difficult to think your way out of it. There are leaders in the past who've gotten us through more difficult situations. Uh, FTR, uh, it would be an example. I think people like Teddy Roosevelt maybe could have done it there. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, of course, much more difficult situations that we're faced with right now. But I don't think these guys have what it takes. Uh,
0: the wild, sirens
1: are really unbelievable. So Pretty wild, you're- been quiet all day uh, with Ukraine. I'm, I'm I am interested to see what he's going to say here because I'm not exactly sure what there is to say. Ukraine, he's probably just going to demonize Putin. He's going to demonize this war. He's just going to put the other out there. The, you know I I saw an interesting quote earlier today that was shot across the federals where the Democrats don't really have much of an actual foreign policy, usually, largely speaking. They don't even really have foreign enemies. They just have domestic en- uh, foreign enemies that remind them of their domestic enemies. Mm-hmm. And they've really made a big point out of Putin being one of those people. Now, Putin's doing awful things right now. Putin's Putin's disturbing the international order to such a degree that the Chinese are getting embarrassed and starting to cut off financial ties with them which is pretty wildly difficult to do. But. They, I think I think we'll see some focus on that, some grandstanding on that. They'll probably repeat some of the, maybe some of the ghosts of Kiev uh, rumors that we've heard or the Snake Island myths that we've heard. Uh, it's going to be hard to get the American people's focus, however, uh, off of the problems that the United States is facing and on the Ukraine. I think that might be a useful foil for the president, especially with such a bold and courageous stance as the Ukrainians have been making over the last four or five days. But the, the focus is going to be on inflation and I, I think he's going to really talk a lot, lot, lot about COVID and how they've defeated it and how it's over. When when the Speaker of the House announced this meeting, announced the date of the State of the Union, I think January seventh, at least early January. Originally, there was no idea what the rules were going to be, what the Democrats were going to decide the rules were going to be. Just about three weeks after that, she, uh, she told speak, uh, she told my uh, minority leader Kevin McCarthy that she was going to say there was only 50 members allowed in which seemed insane because the state of the union is a perfect opportunity for propaganda and to, to beat your chest, not to continue this COVID theater. And then just a little bit after that, uh, yesterday, uh, she announced or earlier today announced that there would be no masks in the state of the union. So we're going to have a completely filled chamber for the state of the union, despite no change in the hospitalization rates. They're going to declare victory, uh, say that COVID is finished despite the fact that just five blocks away, five-year-olds are forced to wear masks by DCPS. Uh, and they're going to try and just whitewash the entirety of the American people and, and say that this is, this is finished, and they, and they defeated it. I think it's going to be a hard sell to make, though.
0: Okay. So that's what I'm interested in with the State of the Union in particular, because obviously State of the Union's Republican or Democrat are just always political theater. That is what their purpose yeah. really is. Um, the, the substance is. is sort of right. Exactly. The substance has sort of fallen away over time. And in this case, I'm particularly fascinated to see how the State of the Union lands when Democrats are undergoing and the media are in the midst of this huge effort to do COVID re- revisionist history because they read the tea leaves, they got the focus groups back, they got the polls back, and they have finally sort of realized um, that it's it's time to get on that off-ramp, as they like to say when it comes to COVID, um, and start reversing some of these insane emergency powers and insane examples of overreach and insanely overextended policies. And I think you're right that Biden is going to participate in that kind of revision- revisionism. And to the extent that you can sort of predict how that would will land um, in the media and with you know average Americans tonight what would you say do you think the State of the Union is a, is going to be a useful uh, venue or a successful venue for him to make that
1: case well so far they've been able to gaslight constantly I mean if you looked at Saturday Night Live over this past weekend first of all you didn't laugh once but if you did you would see a, a whole litany of Federalist headlines from the past two years saying yes. maybe the masks don't work, maybe the anti-vaxxers aren't evil, maybe this isn't actually going to help us, maybe we shouldn't shut down, and they were listed off as these things you're not allowed to talk about. Uh, for the last, now you'll even see things like maybe it came from the Wuhan Virology Institute or Institute of <laughs> Virology. That be wouldn't that be completely insane? Uh, there's been a revisionism that's been going on throughout the entirety of COVID, just an absolute memory hole. Uh, but there's a couple of different things playing against Biden. One, which is a strange decision by the Speaker of the House completely, is that they're not allowing guests into the chamber. Right. Uh, guests are something that's been going on since President Ronald Reagan really capitalized it during the television, uh, that great television age. And it's something where it allows him to point towards something with a human face. And Democrats don't like, usually do very well with statistics and numbers. They have to pull on the heartstrings and tell a story in order to get around. But the, he, they've taken a tool away from him. And then the second thing he's going to be lacking is Chris Wallace to just mindlessly say that that was a brilliant speech on Fox News. You're going to have to get a subscription to CNN, which I don't know a single person who's ever done that, in order to see Chris Wallace's take. But I do wish, and I'm kind of bumming from this, that Wallace is not on Fox News, and now we can't ask Ben Domenech to ask him what his favorite line was from the last speech or his favorite line from the speech before, both of which Wallace said were among the most memorable speeches in presidential history. I don't think he could name a single line. So with, with keeping that in mind, the whole point of that that was not just to dig on Wallace, who it's always fun to dig on, because he's stupid, but to point out that State of the Unions, even these ones that seem like they could be memorable, do have a difficult time having a lasting impact, especially when the race is so far away in November. It could potentially be a nice rallying call, maybe, for Democrats. I think it's going to be extremely difficult in a place where news cycles last two days, Uh, At the max, how this will affect November is low. The best he can hope for is trying to reinvigorate his base.
0: You know... (laughs) Yeah, and, and I assume that we'll on tomorrow's podcast, um, whether with you or someone else, we'll recap what he is actually said because we're taping this as the the sirens consume Chris's neighborhood um, a couple of hours before the speech is set to start. But um, I think also he's going to, there, there will be this attempt to declare victory over COVID um, because, yeah. right, yeah, an attempt to declare victory over COVID and to, I think, um, declare victory or declare almost an imminent victory um in the the battle in the war in Ukraine right now and we oh, seen- be silly. But we've seen examples of that coming from um, the the sort of usual people who have said, you know, Putin, there's still, you know, a lot to be done. But we already sort of won in the sense that the West is united against Putin. Ukraine um, is ready to, to jump into NATO. And, you know, Putin has lost the support of his own people and blah, blah, blah. We don't know how true exactly any of those claims are. But we have already seen that argument sort of come out. And so, Chris... When if you have Joe Biden coming out tonight and trying to declare victory over COVID and trying to paint a, a rosy picture of the situation in Ukraine, um, is that what you expect? I mean, it,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad thesis. I mean, yeah, it's an ethereal picture to try and paint to, to get people to vote for you for reelection that that there's a list of sanctions that are connected. I, one of our mutual friends is a reporter. She's been calling around to every single expert, every single government agency, just trying to figure out exactly what these sanctions are, which states have done them, which countries have done them, and can't figure it out. I mean, I guess it's a big victory for the West that the Virginia ABC, under Governor Yunkin's orders, has dumped out all of its you know, Russian vodka. Uh, but...
0: <laughs> I like how you yeah. just casually borrowed somebody else's reporting, too. <laughs>
1: Before so I, not. <laughs> i'm not calling all these agencies oh, <laughs> yeah. heck no i'm on i'm a podcast person now uh sir <laughs> yeah. uh, but if you want to convince me that some had putin invading ukraine not winning in four days which probably will still win he's got overwhelming force I, I pray for the people of ukraine especially the civilians uh i pray for everyone over there but it's i mean this war is not over if you want to convince me that Putin taking Kiev and smashing these cities and, and war in, in, in Central Europe is a win for Western civilization because Germany got off their teeth for a second and said they were going to pay money to NATO, which by the way was treason when Donald Trump suggested it. It was designed to weaken NATO, according to CNN and those reporters. If you want to go to that, that that's like a great victory for the West and that Texas banned Russian goods, that's a great victory for the West. That's a hard sale to make, and it's a particularly hard sale to make in terms of getting getting our about voters to try and try and support the, the Democrats' re-election. It's been a wild head turn to see a party that just two weeks ago said that Western civilization was paternalistic and racist and awful. We should apologize for it and give our land back to uh, the primitive tribes that used to live here before us. Now suddenly say we need to unite to defend Western civilization by dumping our vodka and making our contributions to NATO.
0: Well, can we talk about that point quickly? Because that's an... That's an important one, and it doesn't have anything to do with the State of the Union, but I think it's sort of a useful tangent, and I'm curious to see where it takes you. Um, This celebration celebration of nationalism and masculinity when it comes from Ukrainians uh, by the media that absolutely decries it when it comes (laughs) from Americans has been kind of fascinating, right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it has. I mean, Ukrainian nationalism and courage and weapons and uh, these are all great. This is that there's no toxic masculinity going on amongst the Ukrainian population right Zelensky. like if if Zelensky were an American, oh my goodness, it'd be it'd be absolutely awful. I mean, they also it's 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 difficult to stomach the idea that that borders or that Ukraine's border is inviolable, but our border, the de dagardda, is racist. It's difficult to stomach the idea that, Putin's claim of religious and, and historical ancestral claim to Ukraine, what he says is the Russians' claim, is completely invalid. But apparently the Indian tribes, you know, we should apologize that we have their lands now. Uh, these are crazy claims for the left to make. Uh, they're completely out of their own. And there's, there's more, no bigger laughing point than them saying we all need to get together with a bunch of German technocrats and French technocrats and defend the West. Really, I, I just don't. I just don't think they're on the side of the West, and I don't think that that this this fight. Well, I stand with people who want to fight against tyranny and, and fight for freedom and stand up for their country and their religion anywhere. Uh, I, I I am proud to see the Greek Catholics, the Greek Orthodox Catholics, out there standing up, and the and the priests who are going out there, and those chaplains. One was killed yesterday, and others who are saying they'll go into the bunkers and they'll go wherever to deliver the sacraments. Well, I see the Western civilization greatly illuminated there, I don't see it here in the United States. And I think that the, their, their calls just really echo echo hollowly. And and they're shocked to see that none of us are coming to this run after the bugle. Why aren't the Americans gathering around their racist flag and singing their racist national anthem in, mm. in favor of our newest war? Uh, but it, they have to look in the mirror. It's not because of some weird conservative love of Putin. I mean, I'm sure there are a couple people out there who like him. It's not because of some weird... A hatred of the Ukrainians, none of that is real. It's just that our leaders lack legitimacy and they lack the moral authority to lead. And yes. no matter how many sanctions they try to pull down or how many times they pack this chamber, at the end of the day, they are, they're immoral. <laughs> they're a problem. They're anti-Western. And if you want a better picture of just how immoral and selfish they are, Look at the fact that a mere five blocks from where they're having their big propaganda party tonight, like all state of the unions are big propaganda parties. I understand that. Uh, Their big propaganda party tonight, tomorrow morning, and when it's going to be in the high 30s, uh, five-year-old children are going to be not let into their school unless they put on a mask. Five-year-olds. So that's because of their allies and their policies. And Pelosi even specifically came out and backed it today. She said, well, I won't be wearing a mask, but if I had young children at home, well, then I'd be wearing a mask. Really, mm. young children at home. A young child is one hundred and forty times more likely to die of COVID. She's eighty-one years old. I thought you were gonna say she was one
0: hundred and forty years old. <laughs> what
1: do you mean? No, no, she's not one hundred and forty. She's a sprightly eighty-one.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if she makes it to one hundred and forty. To be honest with you, she might.
1: That. Well, the blood, the blood of young is good for longevity.
0: Oh, gosh. Um, so. And and that again gets to this question of like yes the State of the Union has turned into a tool for propaganda a propaganda party as Chris just said oh,
1: it always has ever since it's been televised
0: it's right great. but but in an election year. Um, Especially with a president who, by the way, is not as he he does not do as many media availabilities. He doesn't talk to the press as much as other presidents have. Um, And when he does, even it's it's mostly he sticks to a script because or yells at the clouds
1: or he yells at the clouds yeah, (laughs) and whispers Um, menacingly.
0: Well, and this is it, it, the the war. Obviously, there's a war in the, in the Republican Party. There's always a war in both parties, but the the war right now in, in the Democratic side between progressives and moderates is having some really interesting results, especially as they sort of continue um, playing tug of war over COVID policies and vaccine mandates and uh, they're doing identity their own politics. State of the union responses. And that's why I'm fascinated in an election year where we don't hear a lot from Joe Biden and where Democrats are struggling to sort of land on their take towards identity politics and their take on all of these issues, how we see that play out in the state of the union. And I don't want to just keep guessing it's throwing guesses out there. Not that that's what you were doing, um, but that's sort of where I keep pushing the conversation for a, a, living. a couple like, of hours before the state of the union, because I'm sure some folks will be listening tomorrow and I still want it to be, to, to be fresh for them. But like, what do you think of uh, by Bi- the task ahead of Biden when it comes to kind of landing somewhere on those questions?
1: So, so the, the state of the union is supposed to be something where you can list your accomplishments, to uproarious applause from your party, uh, that's that is a good State of the Union. It's just a pound your chest and say, "Look at all the awesome I did," and they have to be legitimate. Uh, I mean, granted, no one's going to fact check this State of the Union, so he probably could do it, uh, but it's, people, it's, it's going to ring much more hollow. And second of all, he's got he can he can't just make a case based on what he's going to do. That was the election. And he's got some real problems in his party. I mean, this response to the State of the Union is supposed to be an opposition party thing. That's what you know. the Republicans, are they've got an official response to the State of the Union that they're coming out with. Usually these things don't go very well, aside from Senator Tim Scott, who did really well, because uh, you would lack the grandiosity and the, and the, and the pomp of, this, of the chamber. But what's weird this year is that the squad is doing a response to the State of the Union. That, mm. That's supposed to be an opposition party. I mean, you might see when a Democrat's in office, you might see maybe a Freedom Caucus. I'm not sure if they've done it, but you might see a more conservative wing who comes yeah, out and say responses. should Michelle gave a Tea Party a response. Year.
0: It was Tea Party. Yeah, Tea response, Party.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's factitious and kind of weird in when you're in the minority. But the Freedom Caucus, uh, the, 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 the squad is in the majority. Not only that, but they've had the ear of the White House over and over again. Well, well, there's a lot of like play in the media to try and say that the, the White House is a more moderate White House, that they work closer with more closely with maybe the New York and the Midwestern and the New Jersey Democrats than they do with some of the craziers. That's not true at all. Nancy Pelosi has largely, and, and the White House particularly, has largely sided with the squad. And because of that, I think they have been unable to get through a lot of the packages they wanted to. They couldn't get Joe Biden and, Man- and to to vote with them. That's not because those two are Republicans. It's because the packages wouldn't compromise with them. So to see this response, I'm very curious what what that's going to be. And it shows exactly, like you said, a lot of fractiousness. And the Democratic Party, well, in previous years, has been one that largely had some pretty strong party discipline. It does not have that party discipline anymore.
0: Well, listeners of this podcast know that my guilty pleasure is following celebrity trends, although I can't really say I feel that guilty about it. But recently I learned about an under-the-radar investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations. And of course, it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are known for touting their art collections, but you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest in one of the oldest asset classes of all time because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors just like you access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now you don't have to be a hedge fund manager to invest in multi-million dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and Banksy. And Masterworks has results. They've sold two paintings that netted their inventors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Even better, our listeners here at Federalist Radio Hour get priority access to their newest offerings. Go to masterworks.art federalist to get started. That's masterworks.art federalist. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io disclaimer. Hey. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it's, why do you think it is? Because the squad actually had a pretty close relationship with Nancy Pelosi for a long time. Um, and they Bad were, to good
1: to bad again.
0: Well and the left sort of actually really dislikes the way the squad has handled their relationship with Nancy Pelosi. So how do you expect them to draw contrast tonight while they're, they have this situation? They're in the majority as you point out, they're in the majority um, and they're giving they're delivering the response. What do you think they do to draw their contrast? Are they going to hit on Joe Joe Biden falling to Joe Manchin and you know caving to Joe Manchin and um, you know anybody else? What do you what do you expect to see there?
1: I'm not exactly sure where they're going to go, but I think they're going to criticize the Democrats, probably not explicitly, but draw their own their own plan out. They're angry right now that, despite the fact that Joe Biden backed their plan completely, uh, essentially most of it, and said that he was willing to support it, and they put it through, and they got it to the House, they couldn't get to the Senate. They're mad that they didn't get enough support. They didn't get enough pressure from the White House. They feel like if he had brought the bully pulpit to bear, that he could have changed to Manchin and cinema. I don't think that's true, but you hear that on left and right fairly frequently, where a criticism of George W. Bush, for example, is that he was too lazy to pick up the phone to push for some of the policies that they could have passed when they had a supermajority in the House, or not a supermajority, but a majority in the House and the Senate and then, and the, and the and control of the executive. Right now, Democrats have that as well—a thin majority in the Senate, a strong majority in the House, at least for another year—and the executive. And they've been unable to pass that. The squad, I feel like, doesn't quite understand how politics work very much. They think that they can get. Or they, they want.
0: understand it too much. That's the less criticism of them—that
1: they're too political and that they're, they're they're too willing to get down and just fight in in the dirt. I mean, right. sometimes you, sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to fight. Sometimes you need to be public. We saw today Senator Rick Scott coming out with his own plan, an eleven point plan for the Republican Party, and Mitch McConnell savaging him afterwards, saying you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have been public in that. Mitch McConnell doesn't want a plan. He thinks that he thinks he's for some reason that Democrats can't fundraise if he doesn't tell them anyone with the, any of the voters what his plan is, and you. That's a thing that you see throughout politics throughout religion throughout life like a, a bigger rancor and hatred for the apostate who's closest to you the someone who steps out of line and the someone who actually completely disagrees with you like the Catholic Church way more critical of those people who are Latin mass Catholics than they are of like atheists or radical Islamists like those people those people are fine but the, the Latin mass Catholics they get all the rancor and you see it in the GOP with Mitch McConnell with those people who, who leave town, those Lindsey Graham's and Mitt Romney's who leave town during crucial defund vaccination mandate votes. Those folks are fine. The Adam Kinzinger's and the uh, Cheney's who break ranks to prosecute their own party party members. Those people are fine. But if Tim Scott comes out with a plan without checking with Mitch McConnell, he must be destroyed. Mm. Uh, And I think you're seeing that right now. And you with what the squad is doing, coming out and trying to put out their own vision, because the Democrats' Cinnamon Mansion, Manchin seem to be a bigger threat to them and their brains than Mitch McConnell might be. And it's going to depend on what they try to do, because if they do get rancorous and they do get critical, I think it would be wise not to, then I, they're, they're going to lose their tie to this White House. It will be a big win for the moderates.
0: Okay, so yeah, and, and this reminds me, I wanted to ask you about on the 4th of July, I was... I don't want to say I was surprised because I don't think surprise is the right uh, Word, But I was sort of amused and um, heartened, oddly, to see the way Joe Biden talked about uh, the founding and about the country. And it seemed to me so off tone, if you're a Democrat, to talk about the country that way. It was a really positive sort of glass half full framing um, of the country. And I'm curious if you think now that he's navigating a squad who is almost certainly going to get on afterwards and... And, and say that, you know, he's failed the country or whatever. And I'm not just talking about their, you know, response to the state of the union that he'll probably never see, but more generally battling that sort of wing of the party. Um, at the same time, realizing how much they have, the Democrats have alienated independence over the course of COVID um, and because of cultural reasons, because of COVID reasons. um, And now that he has this major foreign policy challenge to talk about, not just in the State of the Union, but beyond, do you expect maybe to see a shift in uh, not just Joe Biden's rhetoric, but the party's rhetoric going forward as they, they sort of confront this question of now they have to champion the, the West because they're championing Ukraine against Putin. Now they have to uh, pretend that they were right about COVID because they alienated so many people. Now they have to walk back some of the stuff they said on cultural issues because they alienated so many people. Do you expect to see glimpses of that um, in the way the president you know tries to strike a patriotic tone or doesn't um, tonight? and going forward as well.
1: I, th- I think I see you're going to hear it from the president. I mean, we saw Barack Obama strike a patriotic tone. His speeches, if you closed your eyes, sounded like Ronald Reagan's speeches, which he, he often found a, a crypt from you wouldn't realize that he was in shackling or uh, shackling the American economy that he was driving things down that he was attacking Christians that he was redefining marriage that he was supporting abortion that he was suing nuns you wouldn't get that from his speech because his speech was so lofty and so wonderful uh, and I think that Joe Biden will probably try to do that if he doesn't end up whispering menacingly in the previous State of the Union he started out pretty strong every CNN anchor and MSNBC and CBS person breathed a sigh of relief that he wasn't dead. And then he just kind of went into a meandering, long, whispering weirdness. Uh, <laughs> the Democrats are going to try and do that. If the consultants were in charge, they absolutely could. But it's going to be extremely difficult for them to do that. I mean, right now, they've even managed to rein in Anthony Fauci. I'm writing about this right now. He's, he's not been on really on TV for a few weeks. Yes, exactly. Which is insane because he's a team player at the end of the day. Uh, I remember you
0: and I talked about this about a month ago or maybe two months ago, and I said, do you expect them to disappear Fauci? And, you know, we, we were both sort of like, uh, probably would gonna be, be hard, expedient, but they really, really have.
1: Yeah. The only thing they haven't fixed right now is the teachers unions. That's the only that's the only people they haven't pulled in the line. But at the end of the day, Democrats aren't able to run. The way that they want to. I mean, remember Bernie Sanders ran in 2016 as like a near communist. But to him, he didn't want to talk about the racial issues. He didn't think he thought there was no racial hierarchy. He thought that was a bourgeoisie trick to break you down and to separate the classes. The class struggle went across racial boundaries. He never talked about that. He never talked about the feminism aspects. He talked about war. He talked about economics. And then he came back and ran again, and he was so beaten into trying and talking about intersectionality and all this garbage. <laughs> and, it, and it didn't resonate. I mean, the old Bolshevik kind of resonated. It was an interesting, powerful message. Uh, you see Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, who's like this absolute consummate democratic machine politician. He would step over three little black kids to slit your throat for a campaign donation. like. But he was talking about critical race theory, and he was talking about this and that. Why? Because he was pushed by he was pushed by folks in his party to not run as Terry McAuliffe. So instead of run as some kind of woke lib, which is a very unconvincing message for, for Terry to try and pull off. Uh, so those politicians <laughs> that step out of line, they get pushed back in. You're a bigot if you don't talk about this. How dare you if you don't talk about this? Even at the end of President Barack Obama's tenure, he was being shouted down in the White House by illegal immigrants in his own White House while speaking. Obviously, they've been invited in there because you've been to the White House. You don't just get in if you're illegal. <laughs> this was an invitation, and they would come to his party and shout him down. Um, They're in a very difficult spot. He, was he, as a very charismatic man, was barely able to contain this party, this coalition he'd built. Yes. Uh, the 81-year-olds, 82-year-olds, and poor old dumb Kamala are not going to be able to fix that problem.
0: Well, but that's why I kind of think it seems to me very possible that – they, oh wow! I see you're drinking a beer, Chris.
1: and <laughs> IPA.
0: I should have known. <laughs> yeah, it's. Oh, actually, it's after five p.m. Okay, you're you're cleared. Um, but that's why it, it, they they even the moderates in the party, even the establishment in the party, who who sort of had a sense that some of this was toxic, uh, because they were intimidated by true believers into adopting it, and because um they they were that desperate and power hungry and they're also sort of dumb and out of touch. Um, they went along with us for a really good while, uh, if you very- could
1: call, call Republicans racist all day and win, but you can't call everything racist. Yes. Everything. You can call, America, yeah, right. The whole thing. America right. it, was not that great again. Is not a winning message. Well,
0: because it's it's incoherent with everything that they want to say. You know, why are we why are we trying to you know help Ukraine against Putin if the West is irredeemable in every single sense of the word? Um, and it's yeah, it's because ultimately they uh, believe in American power to an extent that it means they're in power. Uh, they they want a powerful sort of America atop the global system because it still puts them atop the global system. Um, and that's sort of where I think. We will see Joe Biden go further, sort of. he's. It's not that he's going to talk about identity issues. I'm sure he'll probably nod to them a couple of times, but I feel like he's going to we're going to see a shift um, in, in terms of the way. Like we're going to hear more of his Fourth of July stuff uh, than his identity politics stuff tonight. And I think that will be a more sign. Joe Eagle. Yeah, Joe Eagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's coming it. back. Joe well no but Joe Eagle was a reference to the voting legislation uh, Jim Eagle Jim Eagle Jim Eagle yeah it's called Jim, Jim Crow, Crow 2.0 and and Jim Eagle which is outrageous and I, I still think they're going to do all of that stuff so don't get me wrong I'm just saying to the extent that you cannot talk about those things and and talk about things that are less alienating to independents and moderates I feel like in this election year they are going to stumble. They're going to do it. They're going to stumble trying to do it, but they are going to do it. And that's my expectation for tonight.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's been very rare in modern history to see the Democrats so not united uh, on something. <laughs> they're, they're tripping over themselves. They were the envy of party discipline throughout President Barack Obama's term. That He was able to get through unbelievable things just by holding them together. That's back when Nancy Pelosi was on her game. That's back um, when Harry Reid was on his game. Uh, Republicans could look at that and say, wow, I wish we had that kind of discipline. That discipline is over. It's an absolute clown show right now.
0: What do you think? Go on.
1: You look at the list of the polls that have come out of those kind of people who could possibly run if Joe Biden doesn't run again. It's the same roster, essentially, except maybe even a little zanier than we had in 2020 when the Democrats bit their lip and said, all right. Let's go with the obviously senile man who has failed the, the first two primary battles, the caucuses and the primary. Let's go with him because everyone else on here is insane. And you see Kamala Harris, who no one likes, getting 23 percent or so leading after Joe Biden without Joe Biden. But the crazy wing of the party, all those people gather up to about 63 percent. So it's a powerful wing. And the, yes. I think the Democrats who are in Congress right now are – and in the Senate, a lot, a lot of them, the ones who would push back against this, some of the consultant class who would push back against this, the Terry McAuliffe's, they're out of touch with their base in a way that the GOP has traditionally been, Senator Rick Santorum wrote about this, where the, the GOP has an unbelievably bent spine, uh, if they have the donors up here on one side and the, and the base here, the feet, it's like feet of difference between these two things. Democrats have that now. And it's, it's going to be very difficult for them. It's going to be a couple of years of, of figuring this out. And, and, and to your point also, the media is not really covering it mm-hmm. because it's it's inconvenient. But it needs to be pulled out into the open because they need to figure out what kind of party they're going to be. Uh, and if they're going to win national elections and a serious clip, if they're going to do well in a couple of years, I'm not predicting the end of the Democratic Party by any stretch.
0: No, <laughs> Yes. And one sort of thing to close on, I remember um, to return to to my work, which is uh, universally brilliant. Um, the piece I wrote, I'm kidding. You can laugh, Chris. You've, you're drinking.
1: <laughs> your pieces are brilliant. I was tweeting them. I was reading your pieces the other day about about girl shows, <laughs> like a, a feminist comedian. And I read the whole thing. Oh, really oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's you can't even describe. I don't even watch TV. That's good. Still you're, watch yeah, it.
0: You're you're not you're not sort of um, literate in popular culture, which I think is to your advantage um, and is a virtue um, that I am sort of it's it's it eludes me and, and always. We had. need you
1: on those. We need you on that wall. Emily. I just <laughs> I just not going to be anywhere near it. <laughs> right,
0: just fair. I, I guess that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. But uh, I was going to say, I remember when Biden was being inaugurated. I wrote a piece saying something like the press is going to do this thing where, because he's Joe Biden, they will be tough on him, performatively tough on him, um, you know, when when he does something that they feel they can be performatively tough about. So when they, they get an opportunity because it makes them feel, uh, it makes them feel like they are those firefighters they wanna be, like they are calling balls and strikes truly. Um, and whenever Joe Biden is sort of obviously going in a a bad direction in a way that like everybody knows and is completely clear, they will occasionally and to varying degrees, and I would say often unsatisfactory degrees, Go in and say something negative about Joe Biden, and then pat themselves on the back because they're fair and balanced um, over at over at MSNBC or CNN or Washington Post or whatever. And now that Biden actually is faced with, uh, not actually that he's he continues to be faced with an escalating problem in the economy um, and dissatisfaction with this treatment in the pandemic and this crisis in Ukraine, um, it sort of feels like it does give the media license to come in and do that performative criticism of Joe Biden that they love to do when the stakes for them to criticize Joe Biden are low. And they're low right now because there's just sort of a lot of uh, a problem. There's like a lot of things to to criticize Joe Biden for um, because he's made a lot of mistakes. So do you think the press is going to let's just keep talking about tonight as a preview of what's to come in the the course of the election year? Do, Do you think that tonight will be an opportunity? Do you expect like the, the Chris Wallace treatment of the inaugural address where it was the greatest thing anyone had ever heard um, yes. type of thing because it could go one of two ways like the press could actually lavish Biden in praise especially if he does this uh, patriotic um, pro-Ukraine thing we've seen the media go pretty much all in in one direction on that so I think it could go either way he could really successfully exploit this question of, of Ukraine and COVID in a way that gets the media to lavish him and tingles up his up their leg praise um or it could be you know that they they sort of take their their license to to hit them um in a way that makes them feel more legitimate
1: i I think that they're probably just going to go with the praise (laughs) this is i mean they know their part you can you can heap you can you can critique biden with a tuesday afternoon question or you can you can try to make uh his his (laughs) press secretary answer something hard on like wednesday morning but this is State of the Union and national TV, their job is to get in the, in the, in the orchestra pit and play their, and play their notes. <laughs> I mean, in the coming days you'll see like the, to your point, this Jake Tapper is a perfect example of just like a weather vane, <laughs> where he basically it, he basically realizes that the Democrats are going to toxic, so he's going to go over there. He's, he's never actually going to be a leader on anything. He just kind of follows and tries to keep himself safe and, and tell himself he's fair. Sometimes it almost approaches that when he's when he's hits the wind just right. But most of these people are absolutely going to go out there and do the Chris Wallace treatment. I mean, if I had a CNN plus trial, I might even tune in just to see what do you, is, do you know, how to do that. What do is you, Chris you know... saying? I managed to log into Fox Nation. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, had, I had to, Emily, you know, my favorite programs are the ones that I'm on. And uh, I had to go oh, on to see it. That but actually, it. You know, necessity plug, there is was a lot of, I saw a bunch of my friends on there, like a lot of Federalist contributors. So I ended up like, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of these things now.
0: We get it, Chris. You're you're very important and surround yourself with very important people. Any any final, let me, let me close on this <laughs> Thank you. Here. I've been trying
1: to convince you that of, oh, for over a decade.
0: Yeah, you're getting there. This
1: is why We're, you're not allowed backstage at my concerts.
0: <laughs> That's also not true. One... Uh, <laughs> What would you say, just this is the last question, you've been doing this for a while, what is the actual value of the State of the Union? What is the actual impact or consequence of the State of the Union address?
1: It's a base speech at this point in American politics, which which stinks, because it ought to be a speech to all Americans. And you can get some independence off of it if you're triumphantly rattling off your accomplishments. Like we saw just before COVID hit for President Trump's State of the Union, an absolutely triumphant list of. Uh, everyone calls me a clown. Everyone says I'm evil. He doesn't say this, of course. Everyone says I'm destroying the world order. Well, let me go through the things that I have accomplished, foreign, foreign, and domestic. This kind of thing that gets the base super pumped. It gets like, yeah, this is my guy. I'm proud to back him. Oh yeah, it, it, these these messages get lost. My, the, my party's accomplishments gets lost to the media and muddled. And the news cycle is constantly changing. But here's just a list. Here's a massive press release with but with parties of Congress standing there and AOC frowning. That's great for them. Independents might look at that and be like, ah, oh, maybe he's not so bad. But when you're, so that's what Joe Biden's going to have to do. Try to remind the base like, hey, I know it seems pretty bleak. I know it seems like we're losing everywhere. I know that there's really not been a good poll that comes out. I know that Kamala Harris just went on the radio and said, explain the Ukrainian-Russian conflict by saying Ukraine's a country in Europe. And Russia is a country that's next to it and it's bigger. But (laughs) if you can get them going and say, like, we've done this for this group, this for that group, this for that group, then maybe you could get that base thing pulled together. But without actual accomplishments, even with the press on their side, I think it's going to be difficult to turn those independents who are just tuning in. And honestly, I am looking forward to reading about the ratings because I'm not sure how many people are going to tune in.
0: Yeah, I, I have for some reason this year, I felt like I've seen way less coverage um, yeah. of the State of the Union than any other year. I don't know what it is. More, I think probably because coverage we're, the of the truckers.
1: Of the... we're <laughs> not even here, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. That's a good point. Um, and it just seems I think it, it probably will get buried in this this giant news cycle more than it usually would. It, um, there was a
1: war on and TV cameras. I mean, what as opposed to two or three days of fawning over this. CNN's going to be covering two or three days of like them, a bunch of people and a bunch of liberals in DC trying to guess what's going on in an ancient ethnic conflict in Ukraine and Russia.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. But with explosions
1: in the background. So you put it on mute. It's like, yeah, kind of interesting.
0: Well, they're also doing the thing where they're like, and how can we make money off of this?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never, I've been walking past bars, walking past restaurants where televisions have been on. I've never once seen a single Chiron or a single person talking about the Ukrainian conflict in a way that said, I want to unmute that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, there's, uh, gosh, it is, if Biden had to give the State of the Union, I think when the Canadian trucker situation was going down, that would have been absolutely fascinating. I sort of wish that had happened. Yeah, that would have um, been beautiful. Right. I, I will tell
1: we're about saying? to lose battery, just heads up.
0: Okay, I was going to close by saying... If My if, old man
1: computer. <laughs>
0: yes. If, if President Biden invokes um, a patriotic message tonight as, as phony as it'll sound um, coming from him, I do ultimately think that's a good thing for the country. The more yeah. Democrats are sort of forced to acknowledge this is a, an exceptional and wonderful and blessed country, uh, the better off we'll all be because it's a, a sign of sort of positive uh, directional progress. I I
1: Christopher completely. Bedford...
0: Christopher Bedford, Senior Editor at The Federalist, also of Right Forge. Thank you, as always. Thank you. All right. Well, you've been listening to another edition of The Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Drashinsky, Culture Editor here at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the friend.